take our Bibles at this time. We're going to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, where we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. I've said before that one of the reasons I like preaching out of these chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is because this is the greatest sermon ever preached. And I want to be the one that preached it. <laughs> Just kidding. It was obviously words of Jesus as he was speaking to his disciples. And I want to consider tonight what is probably a very familiar portion of this uh, incredible passage together tonight in a maybe a, a sense or uh, just looking at it from an angle that I think sometimes gets overlooked. And so if you're in Matthew 5, we're going to begin in verse number 13. If you're able to stand as we read the scripture, I would encourage you to do that. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13, we'll read down through verse 16. Jesus says to his disciples here, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot... Be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Here's the admonition that comes with this let. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, tonight... In these few moments as we look into your word, I pray that you would accomplish what you please as your word goes forth. Speak through me the words that we need to hear and uh, encourage us, challenge us, strengthen us, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Those of us who grew up in church are probably familiar with the this passage of scripture from a little song that you probably remember singing in Sunday school or children's church. Uh, uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. We got verses that go with that. Uh, and I think the principle and the concept behind the, the song is a good one. We, we ought to be uh, shining forth a light to the world and seeking uh, to, to uh, proclaim the gospel to the world. However, I think that the concept of the song is a little bit flawed in the sense that it gives the impression or the idea that you can either let your light shine or you can hide your light and keep it from shining. And that's not exactly what the Bible says here as we're reading through this. I want you to notice that Jesus says these words in verse number 13, ye are the salt of the earth. Verse number 14, ye are the light of the world. He uses these two examples, salt and light, as an illustration of what Christians are in this world. The first that he uses is that, that concept of salt. Now for us, for the most part, salt, we use salt primarily uh, as a seasoning in our food, but uh, but historically, it's had a lot more importance and significance than just the seasoning in food, hasn't it? It's been used a lot of times for medical reasons. 
uh, to try and stave off infections and to help with the healing process. Uh, but one of the most important uses of salt over, uh, over the years has been as a preservative. We live in a, in a time in history where we pretty much have the ability uh, to keep food fresh uh, with refrigeration and things of that nature. But it hasn't been that long ago that that didn't really exist. It really wasn't an option. And so the only way that you could keep, for instance, meat fresh was to coat it in salt. In fact, a lot of the wonderful foods that we eat today, like bacon and ham, they really came about by uh, the process of preserving meat with salt to keep uh, from bacteria growing in there and things like that. And so salt was used as a preservative. And, and I think there's a, uh, certainly a, a, a parallel between that concept of salt and really what we are to the world today in the sense that uh, I believe that to some degree God is sparing, uh, for instance, our nation from some of the judgment that we deserve because there are righteous people in it. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 and verse number 2, for the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and knowledge the state thereof shall be prolonged. And we have examples actually in the Bible of God uh, withholding, uh, pouring out judgment or wrath upon a people because of the righteous people that are in that place. And to a degree, I believe that God's wrath is being withheld and restrained so long as we are here on this earth. We are acting as a preservative in some way so that God's uh, message of salvation goes forth until the time that his wrath is poured out. And I happen to believe that the Bible uh, indicates that we as God's people are actually going to be called out of here before God's wrath is poured out at the end. Uh, and we are preserved from that. The Bible says we're not appointed unto wrath uh, but to obtain salvation. And so, uh, so for the time being, we're here on this earth and much like salt, that we are uh, acting as a, a bit of a preservative for, uh, for this world as, as the Lord is showing his mercy and his patience. But also another concept of salt, if you will, is we just kind of follow this analogy. Uh, salt is a preservative. It can be used for medicinal purposes. Uh, but salt also can be a bit of an irritant, can't it? Uh, as you get a maybe some kind of a cut or an open wound and you get a little bit of salt in there. We even use that term, rubbing salt in the wound. It's an uncomfortable thing as that you might apply that even if you were out somewhere and you got some kind of a wound and it was real uh, severe but you didn't have any uh, medicine to treat that with but you had salt, you might put it in there in order to try and treat it but it's not going to be a pleasant feeling, is it? I remember when I was a kid and growing up around the dairy farm, we always had a lot of iodine available. Uh, the iodine, we would use that in the process of milking for cleaning purposes and things. And uh, I remember several times getting some kind of an injury and uh, having iodine poured on it. And I can tell you, uh, it works and it's not pleasant. <laughs> and salt would be very similar. And I think this is an interesting analogy as we consider that Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's saying to them, listen, you're in the world, and as long as you're in the world, you are the salt of the earth. You're here uh, as a preservative, as a, uh, maybe even a means of cleansing to some degree, but you're also going to be a bit of an irritant, probably, to the people around you. Not that we go out seeking to be irritating to people, 
uh, but simply living righteously and speaking truth, we understand that that does, uh, doesn't always sit well with people. So he uses this analogy of salt. And he even says then, if, if the salt has lost its, its savor, in other words, if it, if it ceases to really exist as salt, it's no longer useful and effective. I think that's an important message for us, that if we cease to exist in the capacity that God has given to us and called us to, uh, to fulfill here on this earth, what are we really doing here? That's an important question. But, so he uses the example of salt, but then he says, here are the light of the world. Over the past several months, we've talked about light. The fact that God is light, that God, uh, God shines forth light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He came to this earth to shine forth light, and light was entered into the darkness. Light was come into the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Men love darkness rather than light, and we've talked about these things. And so Jesus here is now telling his disciples, ye are the light of the world. Ye are the salt of the earth, and ye are the light of the world. And the first thing I want to point out to you about this, from this passage of scripture, is our nature. Our nature. To be salt and light for a Christian is not optional. It is our very nature. I mentioned at the beginning the song, basically, let your light shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. In other words, the, the message of that is basically, you need to be light. You need to be salt. But did you notice that Jesus doesn't say, you ought to be, or I'm commanding you to be salt and light. He simply said, ye are. Ye are the salt of the earth, ye are the light of the world. If you are a child of God, it is in your very nature, in your very makeup, to be salt and light. We understand that these illustrations really come back to the concept that we are here on this earth as representatives of the Lord. We are His voice in this world. And just like the, a, a dark place needs light for clarity, for understanding, for truth. This world needs light, and we are that light. It is our nature. It is who we are. And so the idea, again, that, that somehow we could somehow not be light or that we could not be salt is actually not the, a biblical concept. Ye are the salt of the earth, ye are the light of the world. Here is the concept. It is possible to be salt and to be light, but to not be effective as salt and light. Just like salt could potentially lose its savor. Now, uh, the salt that we use today is sodium chloride. I haven't experienced personally a salt that has lost its savor, but my understanding is that there is salt in the, in the world, different types of salt that comes uh, more from a, a mining process and things like that, that over time loses its potency. And about the only thing it's good for, once it loses its savor, once it loses the, the saltness of it, the only thing it's good for is to basically throw it on the ground and use it as traction to keep people from slipping and falling. But it's not really serving the purpose for which it was intended. And it is absolutely true that you, as a child of God, can be salt, 
that is not fulfilling the purpose that God intended for your life. And it is possible for you to be light, just not the right kind of light that God desires you to be. It is in your nature as a child of God to be light because Jesus is light. I want to show you this, uh, John chapter number 8. John chapter 8. <clears throat> and what Jesus says here about himself, and there are a lot of places that we could look that would bear this out, but, but I think John 8 and verse number 12 uh, explains something clearly to us. John 8, verse number 12, says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. Okay, Jesus, you're confusing me. Who's the light of the world, you or me? In one sense, he said, you're the light of the world. And in another place, he said that we are the light of the world. Which is it? He said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Do you know why I am light in this world? Because the light of the world shines in me and through me. If you're a child of God, he does in you and through you as well. How do I know that? Because his spirit dwells within you and literally for, in a spiritual sense, for the Christian, your life is not you so much as it is Christ living in you and through you. And so if he is light and we have him in our life, guess what? We are light. It is our nature. It's who we are. We, uh, we sing a song. Go back to Matthew 5. We sing a song from time to time. Christ liveth in me. Anybody know that hymn? Christ liveth in me. There's a, there's a verse. I think it's the third verse of the song that says this. As lives the flower within the seed... As in the cone, the tree, so praise the God of truth and grace. His spirit liveth in me. You think about that truth, and it, it really is a powerful truth. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. We've talked about that. The fact that really the fruit that comes out of our life, if we're abiding in Christ, is not our fruit. It's his fruit coming through us. We're just a vessel. That's what we are. We are simply a vessel for Christ to live through me. Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So, so the idea is, again, I, because of salvation, I have been crucified with him, but now I live physically in this flesh, but the life that I'm living is actually Christ living through me. I'm just a vessel here for his glory. And so when Jesus says, ye are the salt of the earth and ye are the light of the world, we ought to be encouraged by that. Jesus is saying to us, you are a little me. However, we ought to also be challenged by that because we don't always do a good job of showing to the world what, what we ought to. We don't do a real good job all the time of showing to the world who Jesus is and what he's like. But that's what we're called to do. And so he says, you, you are the salt of the earth, ye are the light of the world. He speaks of our nature, who we are, and, and Christ living through us, but then our purpose. Think about this, and notice that he says, and, and again, I just want to reiterate verse 14. He says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. 
It doesn't say a city that's set on a hill should not be hid. It says it cannot be hid. The idea is you are not hidden from the eyes of the world. They see you. The world all around sees you. When you leave this place and you go out, maybe back to your neighborhood tonight and interact with your neighbors, they see what ought to be a reflection of Christ. When you go into your workplace tomorrow and everyone around you who knows that you're a child of God is watching you and seeing you, you are not hidden. And so frequently, I think Christians try to hide ourselves or blend in. It's not going to work. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. You cannot. So, so there, our nature is that we have Christ in us and he is to shine forth through us. But then our purpose is this. He says in verse number 15, Neither do men light a candle and put it on a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And I know that that's kind of where that comes from, right? You don't want to hide your bushel, your, your candle under a bushel. But that's actually, again, not what Jesus is saying. He's saying ye are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. You can't be hid. Why can't you be hid? Because, well, nobody lights a candle to hide it. And the idea is this. The implication is I didn't light you to hide you. I have exposed you to the world. Maybe, maybe it's just me, but I would imagine that there are other Christians who've experienced this as well. I don't even really have to be trying to assert myself as a Christian, if I'm around people long enough, they kind of figure it out. I mean, that's not a boastful thing. It's not a prideful thing. It's, it's just the reality. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's going to show. The world will see that. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, I didn't light you. I didn't give you the light of the world so that you could be hidden. I am making sure that you are fully exposed to the world because I have lit you to give light to the world that you are in. Galatians chapter number 1, if you would. God's purpose for us is to shine forth the light of the gospel, the light of, of, of our glorious Savior into a dark world that doesn't have hope. It is not me that is to be the light, but rather it is Christ in me. I want you to notice in Galatians chapter 1, <clears throat> Paul says in verse 15, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, listen to these words, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And then he goes on. He's giving his testimony there. But he makes a statement. He says, when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. I was challenged uh, several months ago probably listening to a preacher who highlighted this verse. And, and he made this statement. He said, we spend an awful lot of time trying or hoping that God will reveal himself to us. But how often do we realize that God has saved us, not just to reveal himself to us, 
but to reveal himself in us. To show him in us. Through us. And what does Paul say? He, it, it pleased God to reveal his son in me that. That's an important word, that. It's a purpose statement. That I might preach him among the heathen. The reason that God saved me was so that I could reach others with the gospel. Now, I don't want to minimize in any way, please don't misunderstand me, I don't want to minimize the reality of the gift of eternal life. I'm so thankful that Christ saved me. I'm so thankful that I don't have to fear the punishment of hell. I'm so thankful that I have a hope. And when I say hope, I mean an assurance that when this life is over, I'm going to be in the presence of my Savior. I'm thankful for that. But I, I do think that sometimes we maybe are a little bit out of balance because we sing all these songs about the glory of heaven and how wonderful it is to be delivered, and it is, but how often do we realize that God has a purpose in saving us that goes beyond just giving us a home in heaven? If that was God's only purpose in saving us, it wouldn't even make sense that we're still here on this earth. Why didn't he just save me and call me home? After all, life would have gotten a whole lot better for me and probably for those around me. <laughs> no, he didn't save us just so we could say, okay, I got my fire insurance and I'm on my way to heaven. Praise the Lord. That's not the primary purpose in salvation. Paul said it pleased God to reveal his son in me that I might preach him. There's a purpose. I've been called to, to bring this hope, this news of salvation to a lost and dying world. Friend, have you forgotten just how lost this world is? Have you forgotten how lost you were? I, I mean, the Bible describes those who are without Christ as having no hope and without God in the world. On the road to destruction. Taken captive by Satan at his will. Under the power and control of Satan. In bondage to sin. Dead in trespasses and sins. Hopeless. Lost. Wicked. Ungodly. These are all statements that describe who you were and who I was before Christ. And they're statements that describe all those people around us that we see on a day-to-day -day basis. And we go on so frequently forgetting. When we see people, we often look at the clothes that they're wearing or the car they're driving or the house that they live in or some kind of external happiness that we think we perceive in their life. And, and we can have compassion on the, the drug addict that's on the street and has no money for food. And we can say, oh, that's a terrible place to be. They need Jesus. But what about the person that's living in a mansion with all their hopes and dreams realized and yet they are just as lost and, and just as hellbound as anyone else. And the thing is, friend, God has saved you so that you can be a light to them. 
so that his light can shine forth through you. This is the purpose for which we have been redeemed. This is the purpose for which we live. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Go with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26, Paul recounting his testimony of salvation to someone else. Now, the, the other was uh, where we just read was to the churches of Galatia. This one is to a king, King Agrippa. I want you to notice in verse number uh, 16, Paul, let's look at verse 15. Paul's talking about when he got saved, when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus there and brought about conviction in his heart. And he said in verse 15, I, I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of the things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, listen to this, to open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. That is in me. You know, from the very moment that God saved Paul, and I actually believe that this was prior to his salvation. I have some reasons to say that. I, I really don't believe that Paul truly got born again until three days later in Damascus. But we can disagree on that. Here's the thing, when God confronted Paul and, and, and called him unto himself. He made it clear from the very beginning, I am doing a work in you that you might be a minister unto me. You are not saved just to be forgiven. And, and I don't say that as, some, as though it's some light thing that we have been forgiven. It's not. I mean, it, it, it's, it's bigger than anything that this world could ever offer. But that was not the only or primary purpose of our salvation. He saved us that. He saved us too. He saved us in order that our life would proclaim Him. That's our purpose. And as we go back to Matthew 5, we've seen our nature and our purpose. We are the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. But then we see our admonition. Where he says, let. This is, this is the part we have control over. The previous verses, that's what God has done in us. He's made us salt. He has made us light. Now here is our job. Let your light shine. No. Let your light so shine. In other words, we could say it this way. Let your light shine in such a way. Your light will shine, but let your light so shine that they, the world, may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
as the salt of the earth and as the light of the world, you are to live in such a way that the world that sees you will be drawn to him. Can I ask you tonight, does your life point others to Christ? As other people look at you, the way that you interact with other people, the way that you handle conflict and difficulty, the way that you follow Christ, do they see something in you that causes them to look upward and say, I want to know the God that he knows or she knows. I want to serve his God or her God because there is something real in them, something I don't have in myself. I've got a friend who's older than I am by quite a bit. His testimony is that he was raised in a false religion, ended up in some kind of a, a gospel preaching church, but it was kind of watered down. And there I think he made a profession of faith. But nothing ever really changed in his life. He started attending a Bible-believing and Bible-preaching church where there were genuine believers all around him. And they, he actually got involved in a building project the church was doing. And, and on a day-to-day -day basis, he was working with the men of the church. And in working with them, he came under deep conviction because he said, they have something that I don't have. And it was that that the Lord used to show him his lost condition and brought him to Christ. Because simply by, he assumed he was saved, he thought he was okay. But being around genuine Christians, something was different. And it brought him under conviction. Let me ask you, if he had spent some time with you, would the outcome have been the same? Would he have been able to look at you and say, that person has something I don't have? Listen, Jesus said that we are to shine forth our light in such a way that they would see our good works. They would see something in us that would cause them to glorify my Father. Could it be said of me? That when the world looks at me, they want to worship God. Go forward to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. <clears throat> Peter makes a statement here to these Christians about living and looking different than the world. It says in verse number 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that, again, purpose statement, that, 
ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a powerful statement. You know what he's saying? You have something different than the world has. You're a chosen generation. Sometimes I think we're, we get scared of Calvinism to the point where we almost overcorrect and we want to ignore verses that they want to use for their proof text. I don't believe in Calvinism. I believe in free will. Whosoever will may come. Pretty simple. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Not everyone will, but that's God's desire. But here's the thing. Because of our fear of that, sometimes we overcorrect. We fail to remember, if you're saved tonight, the Bible tells us God's chosen you. How does that work? I, I, I don't know. Jesus said, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you. I ordain you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. Chosen of God. Not because there was anything good in me. Ye are chosen generation. A royal priesthood. You know, there's still people out there today that are trying to go, get to God through a priest. Thinking, i got to go to this person, this man, to find forgiveness of my sins. Jesus is our high priest. And in Christ, the Bible says that we are made kings and priests unto him. I, can, I have direct access to the throne of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. You don't have to come through me. I don't have to go through something. We can go directly to God because of Christ. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. God's called us unto holiness. We don't always like all the implications of that. But to be holy means to be pure. It means to be separate. And we ought to be separated from the world. Our life should be clean, pure, and pleasing to the Lord. You've been called to be holy. He said, be holy as I am holy. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. And then he says this, a peculiar people. The word peculiar doesn't just mean strange. It does mean that. It doesn't just mean that person's kind of odd and I don't really like him. It means to be different. Why is it that we, by nature, maybe not everyone, but, but most of us, by nature, we have a desire to fit in? We want people to like us. We want people to accept us. And so we do whatever we can to find connections and to find similarities and commonalities and find common ground so that we can fit in. Has it ever occurred to you that God didn't save you to fit in? He said, ye are, ye are all these things, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, set apart, different, strange to the world. Why? That you should show forth the praises of him 
who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I was in darkness. I was lost. He called me into light. I have hope. I have peace. I have assurance. I have joy. I have a relationship with Him. I'm walking in light. You know what my Bible tells me? That the path of the just is as a shining light which shineth more and more until the day dawn. I mean, it's, in a lot of ways, it just gets better. I'm in His light. But I live in a world of darkness. And I am called to show forth His praises in order that I might draw other people to the light. Why is it that we want so desperately to blend in, to camouflage ourselves, God already told us that can't happen. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. We won't ever fit in this world because we are not of this world. Have you noticed when Christians try to imitate the world, it doesn't really go well? First of all, the world doesn't need another imitation of itself. When it comes to church and, you know, why, why are we, I don't necessarily like the word traditional because it's not that we try to do things the way we do them because of tradition. I would use the word conservative. We try to be careful and cautious in the way that we do things because we want to be consistent with the word of God. We're not just going with the trends of the world. We want to compare things with the word of God and, and go in that direction. People wonder why, you know, why are you like that? Why don't you, you know, kind of, uh, uh, follow the times, you know, and, and try to stay relevant and all that. Listen, when churches do that, to try and blend in with the world, that, that's not being salt and light. That's not, that's not shining forth the, the way that God would have us to. But at the same time, when churches do that, when Christians do that, it's like a cheap imitation. Have you noticed that? It's a feeble attempt. You're never going to be as good at being like the world as the world is. Not if you're really saved. Man, why can't I? Because you're not called to be. That's not what God has made you to be. You're supposed to stand out. Now, I'm not saying that tomorrow you should go to work, you know, dressed in some kind of a weird polka dot outfit and speaking some kind of a language nobody understands, okay? We're, we're, not, we're not here just to try to find ways to separate ourselves and be different. But listen, if you will walk in the Spirit of God, you will stand out. That's what you are. That's what I am. Let your light so shine. They may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When people look at you, are they seeing a reflection of Christ? We are by nature salt and light. We have a purpose. We have been lit. We've been set on a hill in order to be seen 
so that others can come to know Christ and our admonition is to seek to live according to the light that we have been called to be.